to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 72, recorded January 19th, 2012. So we continue on our Modala Imperative miniseries. Yes. Actually, miniseries is since we finish off the original series four-parter and we start on the next-gen four-parter. Exactly. Interesting transition 100 years later. Yeah, I didn't go back and do the math to see if that actually added up to be exactly 100 years, but uh, we'll just go with it. Well, technically speaking, depending on how long the revolution went, uh, it might be like 101 years or something, or who knows. Yeah, but don't give away too much. What revolution? What revolution? Oh, they hadn't got to that yet, had they? Oh, well, we'll see. (laughs) Well, no, well, no, they were. Yeah, I guess we got a little bit of it last week. They were revolting before. Yeah, because they got arrested, right? Exactly. How revolting? Okay. (laughs) So, shall we? Shall we begin? Because I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, let's just jump straight into it. Since we got three books, I'm I'm kind of digging this uh, this story. So far, so good. And I kind of like that they're able to take more time with it since they're spreading it out over multiple issues. Yeah, but as we'll see, this one, or at least the fourth issue, I thought had a little too much filler. But we'll talk about that later. They do have a lot of filler pages. Okay, you ready? Yep. The first one's my uh, honor to present to you today. It is Madala Imperative number three, original track. And the title of this one is The Price of Freedom. Published date, late August 1991. The writer is Michael Jan Friedman. Penciler, Pablo Marcus. Letters, Bob Pinaha. Colorist, Tom McCraw. Robert Greenberger is the editor. The cover shows Chekhov standing on the right side of the page using a tricorder. On the bottom, Kirk has semi-tousled hair next to a rough-looking blonde man that I assume is a rebel. At the top is a fight between rebels and riot police, with Kirk in the center whacking a riot cop upside the head with a long white pole. Looks like action will be the name of the game for this issue. The story opens with Spock and McCoy climbing around the forest near the base of the prison, where their brunette informant told them Kirk and Chekhov had been taken to. Spock comments that he sees why the informant thought the prison was impregnable. Luckily, they have more resources available to them than an average Modalin. Spock calls up to the ship and tells Mr. Scott that the captain is in the large building directly in front of them. He instructs Mr. Scott to scan the large prison and find the captain in Chekhov. Mr. Scott says he will focus Mr. Kyle's search to the building, but objects to beaming them out while Modalins could see them beam away. Seeing a working transporter could affect them as surely as if they introduced themselves. Mr. Spock instructs Scotty to only beam them up when they are alone, which seems like a pretty straightforward solution. In the prison, Chekhov and Kirk talk about 
missing their freedom and having taken it for granted. The talkative rebel from the previous issue walks up to Kirk and tells him they are breaking out and they want Kirk to lead him. With their previous leader dead, he presents good reasons for Kirk's nomination as leader. Despite the good reasons, Kirk objects, saying knowing what to do and actually doing it are two different things. He offers to make a suggestion as to who should lead them. Back on the Enterprise, Scotty checks on Kyle's progress in the transporter room. Given the coordinates, Kyle quickly found the large concentration of Modalins, which must be the prison. However, the Modalins are very similar to humans biologically, so picking up the captain and Chekhov out of the large, tight mass of Modalins will be difficult and take time. Scotty was afraid of that and tells Kyle to keep the search up and keep him posted on his progress. Outside the prison, McCoy and Spock debate on whether McCoy was right to have them go to the tavern for information. Spock points out that the female informant directing them to this prison has yet to be proven correct. In the prison, Kirk is successful in convincing the rebels to follow a tall, strapping young man named Strykar, rather than him. Privately, Chekhov questions Kirk's decision to push Strykar. Kirk playfully comments that he hopes Chekhov's objections are not based on Strykar's age. Young people can, can achieve great things if given the chance, Kirk says. The discussion is another lesson for Chekhov. Back on the ship, Kyle reports to Scotty that he found the captain and Chekhov, but others are in close proximity. Scotty instructs him to keep monitoring until he finds them alone, then beam them out immediately. Mr. Scott reports the good news of Spock. Scotty offers to beam them up immediately, but Spock turns down the offer so that he and McCoy can monitor the situation more effectively from the ground. Scotty says he would prefer to not have to beam Spock and McCoy out of the prison next, but he complies and terminates the transmission. In the prison, Strykar climbed out of the cell block on a human pyramid made up of other prisoners. From there, he is able to sneak to the guard post where he is able to sneak a set of cell keys off a hook. He unlocks the jail door and the rebels make their way to the nearest exit. They run into two armed guards who Chekhov tackles with a quick NFL move. He and Kirk are able to dispatch them and take their weapons. Kirk thinks how Chekhov's quick actions saved their lives and how if he does not have a chance to second-guess himself, Chekhov's instincts are just fine. As they head for the exit, they are spotted by guards posted on the walls. They shoot down and take out the rebels with the rifles. Chekhov moves forward and grabs one of the weapons. He takes aim and is able to take out one of the guards on the wall. Kirk has to tackle Chekhov to keep him from being shot by the second guard on the wall. Kirk comments that overconfidence can be a problem, too. They all run out of the prison and take to the woods. On the Enterprise, Kyle loses the captain in Chekhov's location and informs Mr. Scott. Scotty tells him to try to find them again and attempts to inform Spock. With no answer, Ohura tells them that the communicator is working, they just aren't answering. Mr. Kyle does have a fix on them, but Scotty says not to beam them out until they are sure no Modalins are around them.
On the planet, Spock and McCoy are spotted by a Modalan police helicopter that begins to shoot at them. They are on the run when a blast goes off in front of them. McCoy is stunned, so Spock picks him up on his shoulder and continues to run. They are caught and mistaken for two escaped rebels. As they are marched in, they establish that Spock still has his communicator, which could compromise the Prime Directive if it's discovered. To be continued. I hope they explain why Spock doesn't just toss it over his shoulder and let it get run over by a convenient uh, vehicle. <laughs> well, it looks like they're in the woods, so uh, maybe I was just, I was just being sarcastic. Maybe there isn't a ha- uh, a very handy wheel rolling near them. <laughs> maybe not. Yeah, but you will remember that um, the policeman had heard uh, some beeping coming from Kirk's tunic. So, oh, that's right. So he didn't throw it back there until the guard started asking about it. Yeah, right. Anyway. Yeah. So, so, anyways. We'll see how that communicator comes into play later. Yeah, well, we will. Yes, we will. So, so uh, what were you calling the transporter chief? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, Kyle. Kyle? Yeah, Mr. Kyle. Mr. Kyle. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Scotty calls him Kyle. Okay, I just wasn't sure what his name was. Yeah. Because there's 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 Leslie and then there's a right. a guy named LaSalle that we'll see later oh. and I was like, is LaSalle supposed to be the transporter chief? I am not sure, so what? uh So in this series we see LaSalle? No in the fourth issue. In the next oh. issue. Okay, okay. Oh, but he kinda looks okay. the same, so I wasn't sure if he was supposed to be this guy or not. Oh. Okay, well, the transporter chief is Kyle, Mr. Kyle. Right, okay. <sighs> um, so anyways, yeah. overall, what do you think? So, uh, I thought it was fine. It's just, it's just that at the beginning of the comic, <laughs> where uh, Spock and McCoy are just kind of hanging out, chit-chatting, you know, <laughs> uh, Spock's in his uh, Lord of the Rings outfit or something, kind of like lounging back on a rock or something, and you're ha- you're hanging around outside of a totalitarian government's uh, prison. It's like... Yeah, I-, I didn't necessarily agree with Spock's logic there. No, I think Scotty had it, you know, had it right. You know, getting the hell up. Uh, oops, sorry. The heck up. But, you know, it's like, I, I guess you had kind of, I mean, because you knew they were going to get captured. You just knew it. And then when Scotty said it, I don't want to be beaming you out of the prison, too. You're right, Scotty. But uh, but, but really, the way it turned out, apparently they would have been would not have been picked up if it wasn't for the jail, jailbreak. So. Right. Anyway. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. So uh, on page three, did you notice that the Enterprise has picked up its flaming exhaust again? I was very happy to see that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, that is funny, isn't it? A la Key. Yeah, Gold Key and even a little bit of the Marvel. Oh, did Marvel do that too? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, in the beginning. Uh, I think only in that Happy Mail story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you love the Happy Meal. So anyways, what do you think about overall the the art? Do you think it's as good as it was in the first two issues? As good. Um, I, I, I think it looks okay. Uh, I didn't notice that it was that much different from the first two issues. 
But um, I, I guess it could have been. I, you wouldn't have brought that up if you didn't think it did. I just think that the like, especially Spock and Chekhov, it seems like they're looking less and less like the actors. Oh, and yeah. I thought that the first couple issues they they were doing a pretty good job. I mean, it wasn't a hundred percent, but for the most part, it was. But right to me, in this issue, Spock never quite looks right. Yeah, no, yeah, that's true. Maybe it's that hat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and at, and you know, in some panels, Kirk looks like Kirk, and other ones he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, but but I mean it's good art. I mean, you know, there's nothing slipshod about it, pretty much, except for exhaust coming out of uh, the Enterprise. And, 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 and is that really a fault? I think that's actually kind of cool. Ah! <laughs> uh, if they so can make not the right. actors, if the actors can look this muscular, then why can't the Enterprise look like it has some real punch to it? Exactly. With, with exhaust and whatnots. And whatnots. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah I, I think it's fine. Yeah. Uh, although I will say that, uh, again, um, an example of how the people who make the covers for these things, for the comics, they're really doing it for comic book rack value or something, to catch people's eyes or something. Because uh, obviously they're, they're, they're showing the, the riot fight between Kirk, uh, with Kirk uh, involved with the pole and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then Chekhov's behind him, and they got their uniforms on, which right. never happens in the comic. No. Um, and and so, you know, so what, what are they trying to do? Just say, hey, you know, hey, this is Star Trek. You know, you can tell. Look at the uniforms. <clears throat> I guess maybe that's what they were thinking. And also the, uh, I assume the blonde-haired, rough-looking guy uh, on the cover. I right. assume that's uh, Stryka or Stryka or whatever. Right. But it doesn't. It doesn't look like him. His hair is not as long. Right, and he looks a little older. He looks a little rougher, you know. He looks like you know, more like he might be like 35, 40 or something as opposed to the uh you know. Uh, how how young was Golden he supposed Boy. to be? I don't know, but he looked pretty young to me. Like he might have been in, in his late 20s or something. Okay. And and how old is Chekhov supposed to be? I I would say uh, probably mid to late 20s. Yeah, because that part of the new movie kind of surprised me because I never thought of Chekhov as being the boy genius. No, he wasn't. And he wasn't a genius either. He was just, I mean, he was was on the average side. And he was was well into his 20s, I think. So, I mean, but that is the only, that was one of the only times where I thought they did actually a pretty good job of trying to depict that uh, all these crew members aren't the same age, you know, in the new movie. Oh, in the new movie. Um, because, you know, Chekhov was always younger than, than McCoy. And, I mean, everybody, oh, yeah. well, everybody, everybody was, huh? was younger than McCoy. Right, exactly. <laughs> Yet in the movie, they all seem to be about the same age. Yeah, but I, I think they purposely went ahead and, and somehow took elements of Crusher, Wesley, and Chekhov, and did a kind of melange, because I think they wanted, I think they were trying to hit demographics to some degree. Yeah, so they wanted a real young guy in there to, to be something a little bit more uh, for them to relate to. Hmm. But again, I mean, look how much younger Kirk and Spock are. 
I mean, they're they're in their late twenties as opposed to uh, let, uh, late twenties as opposed to what they were in the series, which was uh, you know thirties. Right, right. So everybody's kind of shifting back. But I guess everybody Spock should actually back, be but... like a good ten, fifteen years older. Probably. Well, yeah, you, know, you can't you can't have everything perfect. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Anyways, we, we we digress on the new movie quite a bit. We do, but it, it, we love it. And, and of course, we you know you continue to hear things come out uh, about it as they're uh, as they're. I, I guess they're filming now. Did, yeah, as of uh, January, they are filming supposedly. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, and I, I guess the the uh, Sherlock Holmes Cumberbatch or what, whatever. Right. Actor. I mean, I guess the press is getting. A few more comments from him as time goes on about his casting. Oh, okay, so. I haven't I haven't read anything in a while. Yeah, but we talked about that a little bit last week, so maybe we should we'll hold off on that until we actually have some news to talk about. There you go. And so the by only... the time that we release this, the news is old anyway. So true. <laughs> Look back. Well, and the latest thing they, they, they that he said is he he didn't confirm that he's the villain. Oh, really? I hadn't right. heard that. Yeah, so anyway, so it he could may be, not be the villain. He may not be the villain. Maybe that woman. Somebody better be. Ah, they don't always need villains, Ken. It could oh, just be on. a giant amoeba. That's the villain, right? But it won't be a, a person. giant amoeba. It's, it's all CG'd and amoeba-like. <sighs> well, uh, that that same actor Cumberbatch, he's doing the voice of what's the dragon in the uh, Lord of the Rings? Not the Lord of the Rings. Uh, the, Hobbit? the Hobbit. Oh, really? He's doing the voice of the dragon, Smog or whatever his name was. I never read that one. Oh. Well, there's an example where they have the actor going in there, and he's not you. He, he's the voice of a dragon. <laughs> anyway, um, let's see. Uh, I think I already mentioned how. Uh, Spock and McCoy looked like extras from a Tolkien movie. Um, yes. So I think I mentioned that already. Uh, Everybody on here looks like they're a, an extra from some sort of medieval type show. Right. Which is odd because the, their vehicles and stuff are, you know, 21st century type vehicles. Exactly. You know, a slightly futuristic version. Right. And they're also supposed to have space travel, so. So I don't know why they're still living in castles and stuff. Yeah. I think it's just what they chose to, how they chose to depict it. Because obviously they're they're advanced. I mean, like, for instance, these fly, the the helicopters they've got going, they look pretty cool. Uh, I mean, they look pretty advanced. Uh, when when supposedly it's just the uh, weapons that they've gotten advanced uh, technology from someone yet to be determined. Yeah, but again, the helicopter, I mean, it, it's sleeker looking than what we have. But, you know, as far as what we saw it doing, it didn't look like it was doing anything that, that our helicopters don't do. Yeah, and maybe it's just the question that, of the drawing, but it almost looks like the landing struts have some kind of uh, propulsion to them. But well, you know, it did in say sense. in the first issue that they have they have space travel. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but they that that's one of my complaints about this book. It never talks about their space program or or what exactly that that means. Exactly. 
did they just go to the moon or their moon, or did they actually go create warp drive and go to other planets? Well, they never say warp drive. They never talk about it at all. No, they never Which say is... warp drive. Yeah, they don't. But yeah. I thought that was the the catalyst for first contact. Yeah. You Which I think that. that's we might have mentioned that last time too. But uh, yes, I completely agree with your point. Oh, well, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be redundant. Well, no, I, it, and and maybe you're not. But I, I thought we talked about that last time. But agree, I agree with you. Anyways. Really, that's all I have to say about this issue. Yeah, same here. I'm actually done with my notes. Yeah, I, I didn't have that many of them. It, it was a good issue. It wasn't a bad issue, and that maybe that's why we don't have a lot to say about it. Right. Yeah. It moved the story along. A few things happened that had to happen, and it's teeing it up for the next one. And the next one is the conclusion. It is. So I'll go ahead and, and go into that if, if you're – no objections? None. So this issue is entitled For Whom the Bell Tolls. And the uh, creative staff is all the same, so I won't go through that. Uh, Issue number four came out early September 1991. And uh, the cover shows a full-body picture of McCoy on the the right-hand side. He's holding up a hypo looking at it uh, to the to the left of that picture, we see uh, Spock on his knees with several troopers around him about to execute him. And then we see Kirk running towards him with his arms stretched out. And it looks like he might be screaming. Possibly, no! But there's no word balloon, so we don't know for sure. Alright, so the story starts off with Chekhov and Kirk uh, running through the forest, escaping from the prison. Uh, Kirk is telling Chekhov that they have meddled enough and that they're going to leave the planet and not rejoin with the other rebels. As they're creeping through the trees, they see a line of recaptured prisoners heading back towards the prison. They are shocked to see Spock and McCoy among all of the uh, prisoners. Seeing this, Kirk conclu- uh, concedes that they will need to meet up with the rebels after all and try to get their help in freeing McCoy and Spock. Once they reach the prison, McCoy tries to explain to the guards that they're not escaped prisoners. The guard then asks him if they're not prisoners, then why are they in the woods looking for berries uh, in the middle of the night? So uh, obviously McCoy can't tell him why they were there, and Spock intervenes and suggests that his friend is mentally ill. The guard agrees and then leaves. Once alone, Spock tells McCoy that the guards know very well that they're not prisoners, but they want to pad their numbers of uh, the number of recaptured prisoners, and so they're keeping them there. Then they overhear that there's going to be an order to execute prisoners to set an example to the other citizens. Spock agrees that this is actually the logical course of action to quell future rebellions. And that is a no comfort to McCoy, obviously. In the rebel hideout, Kirk pleads with Stroika about the need for them to free the other recaptured rebels. Stroika disagrees with him, claiming that it would be too big of a risk. Dejected, Kirk turns to leave. Back on the Enterprise, the transporter chief, which his name is Kyle, uh, informs Scotty that he's picked up Spock's communicator signal, and he now knows that Spock and McCoy are in the prison that Kirk and Chekhov just left. He is unable to find the captain, however, but he's going to continue his search. Scotty then leaves the bridge to give the chief some assistance. 
Sulu and Sulu and Leslie have a sidebar about their adventures on Beta 3 and how there they almost died themselves. Back in the Rebel hideout, Chekhov says that he has a few words for the new leader of the Rebels. He outlines how Kirk was the one that helped give the movement new purpose, and he guilts them into changing their minds and agreeing to help Kirk. Back in the prison, the guards are picking Rebels to take for the public execution. Of course, wouldn't you know it, Spock and McCoy are included in the bunch, and they're all herded into a vehicle that looks just like a shuttlecraft on wheels which from now on I will call the shuttle bus. On the bridge, Ahura and Yeoman Myers, or Mears, uh, have a couple of filler pages talking about how Ahura always hears the good news and the bad news before anybody else does, and that she can never act on it. She always has to just relay it to the commanding officer. Back on the planet, the shuttle bus has arrived at a huge wooden stage that will be the execution spot. The prisoners are herded up the stairs and lined up, and we see that it's going to be a firing squad execution. In the crowd of onlurkers, we see that Kirk, Chekhov, and the other rebels are in attendance. The lead guard gives a long speech, and then he gives the order to fire. Just then, Kirk and the others spring into action. The stage is destroyed, and we see the guards with the guns topple off into the crowd. The quartet of Enterprise crew members are finally together, and they run off into a dark alleyway where they use Spock's communicator to request beam-up, and they're whisked away in a pattern of light. Obviously sometime later on the ship, Sulu is finishing up a fencing match with LaSalle. Chekhov greets Sulu and apologizes for his rudeness in issue one back when he was trying to calm his fears about his first away mission. Sulu accepts the apology, and the two start again their lifelong friendship. On the bridge, Kirk, McCoy, and Spock have their customary recap. They state that the mystery of the weapons was never answered, and that it will be several years before the Federation will be ready again to reevaluate Modala for membership. And then there's a closing joke where McCoy finds out that Spock also tried to talk the captain out of taking only Chekhov. McCoy is quite smug since he predicted that Spock did that exact sa- that exact thing back in issue number one. Uh, but Spock here claims that he never actually denied doing it and that he never actually did it. He only asked Kirk if he thought that Chekhov was indeed ready. It was a kind of a weak joke, and that, and that's the end of the story. There you go. So, they're able to save their lives without breaking the Prime Directive, but kind of nudge the Modalins in the right direction to win their freedom. So, Yeah, did they really not break the Prime Directive? Well, of course, it's, it's, it's well, not overtly, but, you know... This is all a thing with Kirk, isn't it? Kirk and the boys. Uh, and Lady. You know, they're, they're, they're always been in the Prime Directive. They're all, they're all, they're, they're ending, they're ending up getting involved to some degree, but pushing them in the right direction, or at least what they think is the right direction. And in the end, as we're seeing, as we might have mentioned last time, there is an external influence here, which is, which is putting this society on a track it would not normally be in. Right. 
which so. they didn't attempt at all to try to figure that out. And they really should have. Yeah, I was really surprised when they just pack up their belongings and head mm-hmm. on off to the next adventure. <laughs> I was like, uh, you're not finished here yet. Well, yeah, what did Kirk say in the first issue? I mean, didn't he say, or was it maybe the second issue? I think it was the first. Uh, we got to find out where those weapons are coming from. Right. And nope, nope. Now, we had enough. You know, we've been in prison a few times. We've been, <laughs> we all got, almost got killed. Uh, you know, that's it. We're done. And we got to have something for uh, Picard to do next issue. So <laughs> exactly. we're leaving. Exactly. So, um, yeah, it, it's a it. It's a fine story so far. I, I like it, but you know, oh yeah, you don't want to look too closely at any story. You see the warts, <laughs> warts. That's nasty. Warts and all. So I thought Scotty was one heck of a patient guy for being so uh, explosive in the first issue. I agree with you. Ex- yeah, it's like I mean, it, that, that's all you could do. I mean, he couldn't break the prime directive. So, but it's like, oh, and I got to wait to pick up. Kirk and Chekhov. Oh boy, now I gotta wait to pick up, you know, Spock and McCoy. It's like, ah, blah, 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 blah. It's like, oh boy, God, <laughs> you you have the patience of of, of a great guy with patience, uh, Scotty. <laughs> Is that how that saying goes? I something like that. <laughs> so uh, patience of, of some somebody famous from history, right? The patience uh, of Job or something. Yeah, that's like what that. that's what I've always heard it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, but you didn't want to get religious in in the podcast, and I, I called you on it. I'm sorry. No, it, I wasn't even sure if that was right. I thought it yeah. was, but I wasn't sure. Anyways, yes, I agree. But did this issue not feel like it had a lot of unneeded filler? I mean, last issue oh, yeah. did too, with you know so much time being spent with Spock in. Check uh, Spock and McCoy out in the woods. I thought right. that was filler in the last issue. Yep. Completely. And this one had that whole like two or three page long scene with Ahura. Ahura. Oh, that was blatant. And you're just like, what? And who is this girl? Who's my? Who's Yeoman uh, Mears? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Uh, Alan's sister. I don't know. <laughs> okay. That. It's it's it, it, that's symptomatic though of the filler of how filler it was. You took a totally new character, never saw it before, really didn't develop her at all, uh, and just plop her in there to be uh, somebody to coax out uh, Ahura, basically telling her, her opinion of her job. Right. I mean, but I mean, I thought maybe she was actually from the show because you know um, Leslie oh. is just a random character from the show, so I thought maybe this yeah. this girl was too. But uh, yeah, we. we, we we could do a search and find out. I don't remember. Uh, eh, it's all right. A, a character by that name. Well, what about Kyle and Lasalle? Are they from the show? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep, Kyle and Lasalle. They, they were in there. And they are definitely two different people. They're they're definitely two different people. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Lasalle. What was did Lasalle go down to the planet um, in the Sphere of Gothos? Maybe. Um. Anyway, l- 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 did he I make it back? I th- I th- I, th- I think he I think he did. I I don't remember. Anyway, but yeah, I think LaSalle has been in more than one episode, and I think Kyle has been in an episode or two. And I'll be honest, I didn't even know what what story they were talking about that Beta Three thing, so I had to look that one up. Where um, Ka- uh, 
Leslie and Sulu have that filler page about their adventures on Beta 3. Yeah, I didn't know what that was either. Yeah, that was from the uh, episode The Return of the Archons. Oh, that one. Okay, right. Which, even after I read the synopsis, that one doesn't really jump out at me. Oh, yeah. Return of the Archons? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm I'm just proving my original series ignorance here, because, as I've told you in the past, I did not watch that one religiously as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, that's the one where everybody's dressed in kind of like Western clothes and stuff. And Yeah, when I saw the picture, I thought, oh, this is the Wyatt Earp one. And I was no. like, I thought that was much later, and, and indeed it, it is. Yeah, that was third, that, the Wyatt Earp one was third season cr- trash. Um but Return of the Archons was was good. They just happened to be dressed Western. It was a, it was a totally different planet. Right. All right. I'll uh, have to give that a look. Yeah, that, that's the one where they uh, were. I, at least I. That's the first time I saw the phasers being used in in wide field. Oh, okay. So they knocked out like uh, like eight attacking Archons that were robotically coming after them. So that was the that was interesting. First time I saw that. And are Archons robots? No, they're people. Oh, okay. Or are, were they robots? No, I don't think so. Oh, I think no. they were people. I'm asking. I don't know. Hmm. I think they were people. Okay. Anyway, but but was was that the big surprise at the end? Oh boy! Not now you're now you're bugging me. Anyway, let, let's move on with the episode. <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up later. Okay. Um. What what else do you got on this? Because I, well, I think I slipped in most of my comments during the synopsis. Okay, I I, I think the the Kirk mentorship of Chekhov finally begins to bear fruit in this issue. So Chekhov did some pretty good things, had some good moves, had some dynamic moves, and uh, made some good decisions and was assertive in, in several places, and uh, and and it, and it moved things forward, which was good. Yeah, but his little speech wasn't all that impressive to me. No, I don't think it would have but, actually done anything except piss somebody, piss strike go. off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, that's your opinion. Get off. Bye. The <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for all the help. <laughs> yeah, because at this time, uh, well, the Strika still thinks that they're just from another village or something. Right. Exactly. Right. Well, it, he has no reason to to think that they're aliens that just that's... happen to look just like them. Yeah. Isn't that convenient? It's very convenient. Wow. Um, so, did Chekhov ever become a captain? Or did he um, just, like, peter out as science guy? Or, or I guess he was first officer? Yeah, I think he was first officer on, uh, on the Reliant. Right, exactly. And then he comes back to the Enterprise and gets demoted, I guess, because he never, he never does anything on the, the, the rest of the movies. Right, exactly. So, Sulu got to be captain. But as far as like expanded universe stuff, he does uh, he does become Sulu's first officer on the Excelsior oh, after cool. Star Trek Six. Oh, and then in the novels that had to do with in some of the post Nemesis novels uh, yeah. that had to do with Spock finding out about the true uh, origin. Or actually, it was before Nemesis. It was yeah post Nemesis, but before the new movie. But he finds that you know. What we know of why Vulcan and, and Romulus split up isn't quite what we think it is. And in that story, it has Chekhov as being an admiral. Oh. Hmm. 
and well, and uh, well, as we will see, many people can become admirals eventually. Yeah, if you get old enough, you get to become an admiral. <laughs> Even though it makes no sense. I don't know. Well, and that yeah, and and that that book really annoyed me because it's kind of ridiculous to think that everybody that was on the Enterprise would still be alive during Picard's time. Right. And still active. I mean, they still had Chekhov and Ahura as active admirals. Whereas, you know, when we saw McCoy, or as we'll see McCoy here in a second, he's pretty feeble during the next-gen timeline. So you would think that everybody else would be as well. Right. Not the head of Starfleet Security or whatever he was in those books. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. Well... The good thing, at least, of the issue we'll, we'll come to soon is uh, at least McCoy spends some time talking about how he's had a lot of work done. <laughs> yeah, he does. So, at least there's a little bit of an explanation of how he could be... Well, how the hell old would he be? A hundred and... A hundred and... Fifty years old? A hundred and forty years old? I mean, well, I he makes a comment in that... Well, we'll talk about it here in a second, but he <clears throat> makes a comment like he feels like he's 120 again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got a got he's got a lot of good lines in the next issue. Uh but let's finish up this one. Yes. Um let's see. Uh, you know, I I don't know why, but when I was reading the section of the book where they you know the execution platform was was going on and and Spock and McCoy were up there and then Kirk and Stryka are talking in their in their hoods and stuff getting ready to do the thing and then uh you know Kirk tells them, "Hey, you know, we may not be around if things go well here. <laughs> right. But you keep fighting. Um, you know, I thought that was, I don't know, but I thought that was really kind of a, a cool little moment in the uh, in the story. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. I yeah. Uh, I, I guess I can see what you're saying. I thought it was kind of cheesy. And, and especially <laughs> since Stroik is so, oh, yeah, you got to fight your fight at your hometown. Yeah, right. You're like, you and then, think and, you'll and, never see these guys again? Yeah. Well, what does he say, Stryka? Uh, and we'll meet again when all men are free. Which is uh, uh. okay. That's right. That's cheesy. <laughs> You're right. I, just strike what I said. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I thought McCoy and Spock's last moments together were incredibly fitting. At least they thought they were their last moments. Uh, Arguing uh, to the end. Oh yeah. <laughs> I thought it was great. That was actually really funny. I like that. I thought you were talking about the the final scene there on the Enterprise, which I thought was kind of cheesy. No, no, I'm talking about on the platform. Yeah, and I didn't like the platform. It was just a big, giant wooden stage. Yeah, that you were going to be, ex- you know, a firing squad. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's and it's huge because the people are walking up of it up at like three or four people deep, and they have plenty of elbow room. So those that ladder or stairs must be gigantic. There on page 17. Yeah, it is pretty big. And then yeah. it's just a long... And I kept thinking, I was like, if it's really that tall, can anybody on the ground even see what's going on? <laughs> see over it? <laughs> Good point. Uh, and it might be better if it was like a big crowd from far away or something. Right. But, uh, but yeah, some of those people were really up at, you know, close to the bottom. Yeah, so I, I thought it was convenient that the the rebels even knew about the execution spot because isn't it kirk and them never talk about we need to go free them from the execution spot it's we need to free them from the prison right that's and all then they just know. coincidentally they're they're there well and what does he say 
your sources for information are good, Stryka. Oh, okay. I missed that part. Yeah. I mean, but still, it's convenient. I mean, <laughs> I mean, all you can say is, uh, hey, good thing you found out about this. You know, your intelligence guys were able to pick this up. Good idea. Great. Otherwise, we'd be going the wrong direction. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that is quite a coincidence. Uh, and 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 back to that McCoy thing where they're 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 arguing with each other uh, right. just before they're going to be uh, shot. Um, I think the dialogue rang very true to the characters. I'm sure uh, Friedman has written for original track here and there, and maybe even comic books. But in the you know in the late you know lately, uh, you know they've been they've been writing more for next gen. Right. Uh, he's been writing more for next gen, but I think he got. At least in this, that part, I think he got the dialogue between the two pretty pretty good. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with you. Yeah. Okay, that's all I have to say. That's all you have to say? Damn it. That's all I have to say. You're not going to talk about the shuttle bus? No, I'm not going to talk about the shuttle bus. I- I'll be honest. When I first read this, I just assumed that it was a shuttle. And then <laughs> it wasn't until I was doing the synopsis that I was like, holy crap, there's wheels on that thing. And then I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense because they don't have shuttles. Yeah. Well, it reminded me a little bit, a little bit of um, the moon bus on uh, oh, really? a space odyssey. A little bit. Oh, okay, okay. Of course, I think that had tracks on it, but. Actually, you know what it looks like? It looks like one of those uh, uh, TV news vans. <laughs> Channel One News. Yeah, because it even has a one on it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which I'm not quite sure if that's a one or not, but if you, I don't turn, think it if is. you tilt your head, it looks kind of like a one. Yeah, and we'll talk about this next issue. I thought they did a good job in this issue of never showing English on any of the uh, buildings or anything like that. Oh, yeah, right. Even when they were going through the town in the in the first two issues, right. you know, the bars and stuff didn't have English blazoned on them. But that's about to change when we get into issue number one of the next gen. <laughs> in a big way. Well, could you... Okay, we'll see it. Yeah, we'll, we'll see, see it in a second. Uh, okay, so that's it for your comments. That's it. Excellent. Let's move into next gen territory, shall we? Okay, the Medalla Imperative number one for uh, next gen. And this is where we will pick up the uh, story with Card and the kids. The cover shows Picard is standing proud on the right portion of the cover. The heads of a very aged McCoy and Spock are at the top. The Enterprise D is below them. Below the Enterprise is Riker, Troy, Worf, Data, Dr. Crusher, and Geordi all in a row. Our story opens in space, in a solar system. What appears to be a sun explodes and hurdles its deadly radiation towards a brown and black planet. On the surface of that world, an old man is walking, alone, through a brown desert. He has a staff and tattered clothes. He is verbally huffing and puffing as he makes his way with great difficulty. The sun is beating down on him, and then, when suddenly it becomes exponentially brighter, the blast rains down on the planet and knocks the old man to the ground. As he attempts to get up, by clutching to his staff, a voice comes up from behind, asking him why he is still trying to run, when he can't possibly get away. 
The voice says, they had a deal. As the old man rises to his feet, two dark figures are behind him, telling him he can't get out of the bargain the old man made with them to give them Madala a hundred years ago. The old man is on his feet and attempting to run, as he says, Madala is not his to give. He and the rest of the Christians were overthrown. He is in exile. He nears a precipice. The figures say it's not their problem. They want payment for their weapons, and if they do not get it, they will put the old man through great torment. Whether the old man jumps or slips is not clear, but he goes over the precipice and falls, we assume, to his death. The scene changes to a fit-looking woman diving from a tall rock into a pool of some kind, while Riker and Troy look on. Riker is digging it, but Troy is overly concerned for the diver. It turns out to be Dr. Crusher, who took the challenge to dive uh, from the high rock. She is stressing out over an upcoming admiral's visit, and really enjoyed the break diving into the pool. Data joins them in a ridiculous blue-striped full-body swimsuit from the early 20th century, complete with sailor's cap. Riker takes advantage of the situation to make fun of Data, with the best of intentions, of course. Dr. Crusher and Troy are left laughing at the pose Riker talks Data into striking. Meanwhile, on Modala, 100 years after Kirk and Company's visit, the world appears to be thriving and quite advanced. Flying cars shriek about past a very futuristic set of buildings, and what appears to be a long, wide sidewalk stretching between buildings hundreds of feet high in the air. Huge signs, in English, say, Madala welcomes the Enterprise, Madala 100 years of freedom, and freedom, hard fought and hard won. Lots of celebratory slogans for the centennial of their freedom. Inside the great building is a very much older Stryka, the leader of the rebellion long ago that apparently grew into the leader of a world. He is speaking to an aide concerning preparations for celebrations that are targeted to be completed when the Enterprise arrives in several days. Their discussion is interrupted when a de determined man named Ows enters the office uninvited. He is the leader of a group that wants change in the way Madala is run. Ows accuses Stryka of ignoring his people while he devotes his time and government's money on the self-gratifying centennial celebrations of when Stryka and other rebels overthrew their oppressors. Ows storms out of the room after he has had his say. Meanwhile, at Starbase 42, the Enterprise picks up a passenger. The guest of honor at the Madalin Centennial Celebrations was one of a Starfleet team of four that helped James T. Kirk aid the Madalins in finding the courage to defeat their oppressive government. This guest is none other than Admiral Leonard McCoy, the only available member of the original team of four. Admiral McCoy is greeted by Captain Picard and his senior staff. He spends a few minutes with them each and has a joke or two while he is at it. 
When he finally gets to Dr. Crusher, he calls her nurse and heads off to tour the improvements made to sickbay since the last time he visited the Enterprise four years ago. As they all walk to sickbay, with McCoy and Beverly in the lead, Picard and Riker discuss the Admiral. Riker comments on his apparent age-induced eccentricities, but Picard counters, saying that the Admiral was always very forthright and willing to tell people what was on his mind. Their discussion dissects McCoy's personality and possible motivations. Almost a thesis on the topic is performed by Picard. Elsewhere in a freighter, streaking through space, a shadowy figure is speaking to the ship's captain. The shadow is someone of importance who the captain thinks should be in a better means of conveyance than her ship. The shadow states that form over function is a waste of resources, and her ship was available, so it will do the job tasked to it just fine. A tan-colored, vaguely horseshoe-shaped ship is following the freighter at a discreet distance. One of the occupants wants to take the freighter now, but the other says to stick to the plan and wait until the Enterprise sends down its landing party with its honored guest. Then they will all make valuable hostages. Meanwhile, on Madala, Stryka and his wife are roused from their slumber by the clatter of owls and his many followers, who are staging a demonstration in the middle of the night. Owes says Stryka should have met with him when he could. Owes says they deserve to be heard and will be heard. The riot police come in and Stryka tells them to carefully take the protesters into custody and release them the next day after they cool down. As Stryka climbs back into bed, he says to his wife the imprudent troublemakers will be taken care of. He says Modala is not in debt, as Owes states, and is so prosperous that everyone is provided for. His wife questions whether Stryka knows that they are truly taken care of. Stryka says he cannot manage every program, but the people he's appointed are doing it. After all, he can't be everywhere. He accuses his wife of being a rebel sympathizer, to which she says she fell in love with a rebel a long time ago and married him. Stryka is taken back by her statement and may have come to a realization. On the Enterprise, Admiral McCoy has just arrived on the bridge and engages in good morning pleasantries. A discussion starts concerning how much any of us matter in the long-term context of history. It ends when Picard suggests Riker take the Admiral to 10 forward. Worf informs the captain a freighter named the Tornado is approaching, and they are hailing them. Captain Lacey tells Picard she has a passenger for him. At first, Picard objects, saying this is quite irregular, and they are on an important mission. Then the passenger comes onto the view screen and speaks to Picard. After seeing him, Picard goes open-mouthed and orders Worf to bring him aboard when they are in transporter range. In 10 forward, McCoy says his Enterprise could have used a bar. Riker and then later Guinan both say it's not a bar, it's a lounge. 
McCoy says it's a bar if you can get a drink here. McCoy hates the synthahol Guinan serves up first, but when she breaks out the Kentucky bourbon, the Admiral is properly impressed. McCoy toasts to his original crew as the finest crew history ever knew. When suddenly, a familiar voice addresses them. It is correcting Riker's hear here response when McCoy, uh, to McCoy's toast. When they turn, they see Picard and Troy on both sides of the entrance, with Captain Spock entering, his left hand extended and saying, I'll drink to that. To be continued. So were you surprised on that last page when it came out to be Spock? Oh my god! I mean, he was just on the cover. Yeah, and then... this is another example where the cover ruins the surprise if that was indeed intended to be a surprise well it was intended to be it was intended to be the surprise but come on i mean even if you didn't see spock on the cover how could you not see spock on the cover that's the reason why you bought it well okay i'm just (laughs) this is a hypothetical even if you didn't see spock on the cover the way the shadowy figure was speaking and stuff it's like you're pretty much going to figure out it's spock (laughs) i mean who else is going to be you know uh, check off. Don't think so. Um, anyway. So, yeah, it was a ho- horribly kept secret. <laughs> but the, okay, and, and that's not the only secret, because we do have another secret going on. Who supplied the weapons? Who was the? Who were the people behind the old man? Um, and who were the people that were following the freighter? Well, you notice the style of that ship that was following the freighter. I do, and that was my first clue, and that's really all I needed. Oh, okay. Um, because, okay, so it's kind of difficult to explain this unless you see the comic and see the panel. But the angle they're shooting, they're showing the ship at, is probably a little—it's a little obscuring the angle. But if you are a next gen fan, uh, you're going to recognize that ship. You're going to recognize the color. You're going to recognize the rough shape. And then, of course, the the icing on the cake <laughs> is in the letters section, where you see the next uh, uh, the cover of the next <laughs> issue, and then, and then right in the middle of it is should we say it now? Yeah, go ahead. Is a Ferengi. So, um, the the ship that was following the freighter. Which, by the way, the freighter looks just like a shuttlecraft, an Enterprise shuttlecraft, but whatever. Um, and uh, it's yellow, you know, or tan, caramel color, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, it's it's it, it's it's that same color as as a Ferengi ship. So. Yeah, and I totally agree with you that the 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 freighter. It, it it is a Federation shuttlecraft. I, I was a little disappointed they couldn't come up with a better design than that. Especially if it wasn't supposed to be a Federation ship. Well, yeah. But, okay, but the thing is, those shuttlecrafts, and it doesn't look like a next-gen shuttlecraft. It looks like, like an older, original Trek shuttlecraft to me. Yeah. Though, I mean, that's not a freighter. I mean, there, there's not a lot of room inside those, those shuttlecrafts. <laughs> so, and plus, it looks like they're moving around, well, I don't know. I mean, it looks like, it looks like they're moving around a real ship, not a shuttle. So, yeah, it definitely looks like there's different rooms and stuff. Right. So I think they kind of I, – I, th- I think they went on the cheap and didn't use a lot of creativity for what this freighter is going to look like. 
but it, it's got to be uh, you know a, a much bigger ship, but basically the same outward appearance as, as an old shuttlecraft. Agreed. Yeah, and again, I was just kind of disappointed in that. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, considering, I mean, they they take care with a lot of other parts of the of, of this series. I just they could have done better. And this shuttlecraft or this freighter, whatever it is, is supposed to have somehow snuck Spock from Romulus over the border into the Federation. So, I mean, you you kind of want to see like a Han Solo type guy, you know, some kind of smuggler guy that's that can go across the borders and things like that, not just some. Are you saying that a woman can't do that? I'm not saying she can't do it, but she couldn't do it in that shuttle <laughs> how do you know maybe she's made some special modifications yeah maybe, maybe you could maybe you could make the kessel run in uh two parsecs but i'm just thinking that if i was <laughs> if i was a romulan uh is it, is it commander parsecs? and i see that shuttle flying by i'm not gonna think oh that's just some you know smuggler or that's just some freighter captain i'm going to be like oh look there's a federation shuttle i can destroy and you know make the praetor happy yeah right anyways just i think it's a poor poor ship design yeah i I agree the the choice was not good and uh you know you haven't really talked about it but uh I, i liked all the interactions with mccoy and and this new crew uh, oh, I, me too. And it would, my synopses are long enough uh, that if I would have included all those jokes and the banter back and forth, uh, it would have been, well, too much longer. But you are right. I mean, I, you know, again, McCoy's a very entertaining character. Yeah, I mean, he's he's cantankerous, and now he's an old man, and, and these scenes are just, they're really in character with what he, you know, what what he is and what he, you would think that he would be when he's 150 years old or whatever he is here. Agreed. And the way he comments uh, how Riker reminds him, uh, Riker, uh, Will T, not Tiberius, Riker uh, reminds him of Kirk, especially when he asks him how he is with the ladies. Exactly. <laughs> and then Riker says, I get my share and perhaps a little more. <laughs> now you really remind me of Kirk. <laughs> I like that. I, I liked all of it except for the last one when he tells Beverly, "Come on, nurse, let's go look." That that was the one that I thought was a little that was a little odd. Uh, well, yeah, he, you know he had Doctor Chapel with him for a long time. Oh yeah, yeah would he yeah. still be calling her nurse? Yeah, but is that part of the doing things purposely? To yeah, I test guess so. People or kind of get a laugh or uh, you know just being playful. Yeah, but that one wasn't all that funny to me. I just thought that was weird. Oh, it depends how you take it. But yeah, it is a little sexist. But but no more sexist than your comment about a uh, a, a female captain not being able to smuggle people. <laughs> that's not what I was saying. <laughs> oh, that's what I got out of it. But okay, fine. Okay. Uh, and all the banter about the bar uh, I thought was good. Uh, I didn't look at the times, but when did Relics come out? The the movie Relic or the TV show Relics where Scotty ends up being alive in this time. Um, I don't know. Is, isn't uh, there a head. similar scene with him and Data and Guinan? Or no, I don't know if Guinan was in that one. 
But they're at ten forward. Ten and forward. He pulls out some green stuff. Oh, is that the one where he says it's green, or somebody right. says it's green? Okay. Uh yeah, but it's such a good thing. You got to do it multiple times. <laughs> because, I just because... wasn't sure which one came first. Yeah. I don't. Know. I don't know. I assume that this one came first because you think that if Scotty was already established as being alive at this point, he would be in this episode or this issue. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, but but they did say <laughs> it was just it was just the people that were available. Right, I think that was just their because Chekhov Chekhov didn't saying, come up show up. Well, we but. He, we didn't know what this when this was published. We didn't know what the final fate of anybody was. No, we didn't. But the, they, the only two that we knew of was Spock and McCoy. Right, but but Kirk didn't show up, um, and right. and McCoy. Uh, I mean, and Chekhov didn't show up. I mean, there were a lot of people that didn't show up. Right, but that's what I'm saying. At at the time this was published, we we the the readers and the writers didn't know who was and wasn't alive at this point. True. Except for Spock and McCoy, and that's why I thought that if relics had already come out, then they would have shoehorned him into the story. Mm, I got you. I see what you're saying. But they purposely they purposely were safe and they said, you know, yeah, exactly. Uh, they're not available. So it's like they leave it open. Right. I agree. Yeah, you don't know whether it's due to death or whatever. Or just busy piloting or captaining a ship somewhere. Or (laughs) being an admiral of something or head of security. Maybe maybe Chekhov finally got his own ship. We can only hope. The Excelsior C or something. (laughs) That must be it. (laughs) Anyways. All right, we're digressing. Yes, we are. Um... So what do you think of the artwork in general? Well, you know, I, I think it was fine. I mean, definitely the beginning when they're around the, what I assume was the holodeck pool. <laughs> it definitely, Pablo's going back to drawing <laughs> Riker as Mr. He-Man. He-Man muscle guy. Yeah, especially when he's teaching Data how to do that pose with the, the sailor suit. With the sailor suit. <laughs> the swimsuit with, that just happened to have a sailor hat on. <laughs> I don't think that's a sailor suit. I don't either. I, I misspoke. Well, yeah. So Riker's there striking a He-Man, Master of the Universe pose. He has the right arm up, flexing the bicep in his, uh, as you had said earlier, off recording, uh, Speedo, un- Speedo uh, swimsuit on. That's, that's very Pablo-arian. Yeah, he looks very much like um, Lou Ferrigno did in the Hercules movies, I thought. Oh, really? When I opened this up, I was like, oh, Lou Ferrigno's going to be in this one? Oh, <laughs> Riker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't remember, I don't remember Lou Ferrigno as Hercules, but I can see that. Because he had the beard and everything, was that the deal? Yeah, exactly. Okay. He was not a clean-shaven Hercules. Okay. He was not. Yeah, that that show, by the way, is is horrible. The movie. Yes. Well, it was it was uh, you know, they were trying to go the spaghetti western route, and they right. were trying to make a fantasy show in Italy for American audiences. Yeah. And 
and it's just this weird mix of Greek mythology and sci-fi. Because, I mean, in this one, the gods are, like, technologically advanced, and they have these oh, really? robot machines and stuff like that. Oh. It, it's, okay. It's ridiculous. Wow. Well, let's not digress anymore on that, but uh, I'm glad <laughs> I never saw it. So anyway, so what do you think about Crusher's bathing suit? It's like a a weird blue yellow yeah it's 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 about as unrevealing as much as what's your face's bathing suit RK JK whatever her name is RJ Blaze exactly as as revealing as RJ Blaze's bathing suit was uh Dr Crusher's bathing suit is not <laughs> so it's yeah. it's it's covering her from over the bicep on the arms up her neck a bit and then all the way down covering eh, about 60% of her thighs. And it is skin tight. I like that. 40%. Well, I, I'd say, I'm saying 60. Oh, oh, 60% of her thigh. Of her thigh, not her leg. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Uh, so it's blue it's, it's blue and yellow, and it's very skin tight. And she come, when especially when she comes out of the water, she looks like an Amazonian redhead or something. I mean, she looks really buff to me. Yeah, that's a good reference. She does kind of look like Xena. A little like Xena, but with red hair. There you go. Right. Uh, yeah, she she looks very fit. Very fit. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, I did not think that was a flattering um, swimsuit at all. No, but, I mean, she's got a nice shape under it. Yeah, she kind of looks like a, a WNBA player or something. She just looks like... Big. Well, even when she's in her uniform later, when she's talking to McCoy, she has that, like, mannish-looking face. Yeah, that's it. Mannish-looking face. I, I, would, I would say that about her, yes. Which, you know, Gates McFadden doesn't have that. Oh, not at all. Not at all. Uh, very feminine. In good shape, but, but, not, but not, like, athletic. No. This is definitely, yeah, athletic. Anyway, so how do you like how, and I didn't mention this either in the synopsis, but uh, multiple times McCoy uh, refers to the point of how many parts have been replaced in him. (laughs) Yeah, I I thought that was really good. He's talking about how he's had his organs replaced, that his brain's the only one left. Right. (laughs) Which Which kind of... Go ahead. Which kind of makes sense. If somebody's going to live that old, yeah, you you better be replacing parts. Now, in the uh, encounter at Farpoint where he was in, um, did they reference that at all? I, I don't think no. they did, did they? they didn't, I didn't say a thing about it. Because when but McCoy shows up in the uh, Shatner novels, yeah. they they do talk about that a lot, about how he how at in the future they will take your tissue samples and clone your own organs for you and just... You know, clone the a new heart and install it. That way, it's still your heart. And... Yeah. But I was like, but when I read it in here, I was like, oh, they maybe it was in Encounter at Farpoint, and that's where Shatner and this comic book got it from. But maybe I don't think it is in there. Uh, I don't think it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't an Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. And, and the thing is that I don't know. They, they mentioned how Picard during his doctoral thesis about McCoy is <laughs> saying about how McCoy 
had felt in his life that mach- people were people were so reliant on advanced technology that they were losing the, the human element technology over the human element in 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 humanity in general but especially in the folks that went out exploring space and on the other hand here's McCoy who's using using medical science and replacing every part he can to extend his life which at least in the shows the TV shows they never for the most part they didn't show stuff like that no, the only time I can think of it is, you know, Picard's heart, they said it's artificial, but it's not right. a cloned heart or anything right. like that. Yeah. And, right. And as far as really, really old people, you know, you don't see all that much of that in the Star Trek universe. Uh, but there you, was... You don't want to see that as an audience. You don't want to see old <laughs> people on TV. Right. But I will comment that there was a first season episode that did have an admiral who was quite aged who somehow had some kind of drug that made him young again. Oh, yeah, I remember for a that mission. One. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we have seen some aged people, but McCoy's the oldest person that I think we've seen in the Star Trek universe, at least that I recall. Uh, agreed, yes. And, 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 and all of this replacing parts to keep him going and stuff, it's like, that kind of smacks of, you know, I mean, would I not do it? Hell no. Let's replace some parts. But um, <laughs> it's like... It just smacks of like, you know, oh, we don't ever want to use artificial parts like cyborgs. We don't want to become cyborgs. And we don't want to use too many robots, you know. We want to be independent people. Um, Yet here we are using technology to replace parts like crazy. Right. I get you. It was – and I don't – remember him ever saying that in the show that that's really what he had a problem with he just didn't like the transporter (laughs) uh yeah well yeah i mean in fact in star trek 4 he went on and on about how all the advancements in in medicine oh right wasn't that the one where he gave some lady a pill and it regrew her liver or something (sighs) her kidneys yeah yeah which was cute and everything but Agreed. I mean, a magic pill that grows back, you know, just the organ you need it to grow back? I mean, is there a, is, is there an adjustment on it or something? <laughs> okay, now it's in kidney mode. Well, yeah, and... you don't want to give somebody a heart mode. Then they have two hearts and they become a time <laughs> Exactly, mode. exactly. You don't want that. Yeah. And then it, it, it works so fast. And, 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 and the woman, did, did he actually tell her what was going to happen? No, because... he just said, take two of these, and he kept walking, and then... When they when they're leaving, she's like, "Oh, they, I'm great." Well, and not only that, didn't she say something like, "I grew a new liver" or whatever? Yeah, and something. It's like, how oh, the hell did you while. know? Okay, you're feeling better, <laughs> fine, but are you a doctor? I mean, how do you know what happened? <laughs> anyway, anyways. All right, I got one more comment about this issue, and then I'll be done. And do that's it. the uh, the last page of the issue when it shows. Spock walking in, doing this weird hand gesture where right. he's like begging for money or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think that looks at all like Spock. And wow. Picard and and Deanna are behind him, and Picard looks okay, but Deanna looks a little weird. Yeah, Deanna looks looks weird. Um, Spock looks a little weird, 
But you can tell that's Spock. You can tell that's Nimoy. I think. Although I, I do agree with you, it's 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 off. It's off. But you can tell it's Spock. Come on. Well, it's just because he has pointed ears. No, his face. <laughs> Look at it. Look at he's got a big old schnoz, and he's got the, you know, big old long upper lip, and I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, I know who it is, but I'm just saying it, does, it just doesn't look yeah, right. It, it, it could be a little bit more accurate. And he's got the big flowing robes and stuff. So you said those were ambassadorial robes or something? Yeah, I think so, because that's what he wore when he was on Romulus, and that's kind of what uh, Sarek wore, right? Didn't he always wear robes? Yeah, but Sarek was like a nutcase. Oh, I didn't know that. No. Oh, Sarek, he, he he did marry a human, so I guess. Well, so. okay, okay. He was he didn't have robes in uh, during the Babel, did he? I thought he did. Really? I uh, thought he had I'd have to like go back suit. and relook. But I know in the movies he did. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Cool. Well, and then Evers, Deanna, what'd you think of that? Well, in that in that particular drawing, which is a full page drawing, by the way. Uh, right. Yeah, I I mean her nice and shapely. I like the shape, but uh, yeah. Her 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 face is weird. She looks like the Joker. I mean, you can tell she's smiling, but the way the way the smile is kind of drawn and stuff, it's just kind of weird. That's funny, the Joker. I thought she looked kind of like a horse or something. Oh, well. In Meh. some in some drawings of the Joker with those huge teeth he's got, he looks like a horse. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, look at the size of the teeth on some of those drawings of the Joker. Ooh. Yeah, those you wouldn't are, want him to bite you. No, those are inhuman choppers. Okay. Uh, all right, anything else? Because I, I don't want to cut you off, but I'm done. Uh, uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> the last of my comments are there. All right, so uh, we don't have any elsewhere or anything since we've already covered these months uh, in other episodes. So okay. we'll come back next week and do Next Generation Modala in, uh, Imperative Three, four, and five. Or, I'm sorry, two, three, two, and four. Three, four. Perfect. That's great. And see exactly how the Madalans. So, uh, I haven't read these, so just, just just speculating. You think the Ferengi were the ones that gave the Modalans the technology? I think they are, but I will say that the shadows that we saw at the beginning of the issue, they don't look Ferengi. And no, they don't. So, either they were just trying to throw you off. So you wouldn't know, so it would be a bigger surprise, or maybe somebody else is involved. But I, I, I think it's, I think the Ferengi. They've been around. Oh, well, you a while. know what? Now, now that I look at it, it, it actually does look. It could be the Ferengi with that little. Really? Yeah. I'm gonna shoot back there. Because I looked at it purposely. When I was writing my little synopsis, my little thesis about who it is, yeah. uh, I, I purposely went back and looked, and I didn't think they looked like Ferengi. But they kind of look like they have large, lumpy heads and. I don't know. I don't. Well, okay. So you may have a point. So the guy on the right who is backed is to the reader. Yeah. It, it does look like it's sloping. So either he's got long hair in the back, or maybe he's got that little doggy yeah. cone thing, inverted doggy <laughs> cone. <laughs> right. I was trying head. to think of what to call that. Yeah. And the other guy. I mean, I don't see big ears on on the other no, guy. I don't who's see more, the ears. Who's more well, facing they, us? But it does look like there's something at the bottom of his head, bottom of his skull in the back. But it looks like there's something on the top too. Look, I mean, his head has lumps on it. That could be his hair. Oh, I guess it could be. But yeah, yeah. So, anyways, I think you. I think. Uh, I think it is supposed to be the Ferengi, which would be interesting because 
supposedly the Federation didn't know anything about the Ferengi until well after Kirk's time. So I'll be curious to see how they shoehorn that in. Exactly. So um, so obviously they do overlap in places they've been, so you'd think they would have met, but exactly. who knows? We darn, shall see. Darn Ferengis. Yep, so we'll find out next week uh, if it was indeed the Ferengi that was causing all this mischief. Yes, so we shall. So to the next, bottom of it, dang it. Let's hope so. So we got the uh, Next Generation Modella Imperative 2, 3, and 4. Right. Episode 73. Exactly. And uh, anybody listening around, uh, keep an ear out for a couple episodes. We're going to have a new opening, starting with 74. Cool. So... With that, uh, we don't have any expanded universe, so I guess we can close up shop. Sounds good, man. So see you in uh, episode number 73. Later. Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan again. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starT comicbookreview at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name book review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review <laughs> <laughs>